0: Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. Is it hot in here or am I just hot natured? Okay. Okay, so I see a lot. I see some people like, <sighs> let me tell you a little story. The first church that I pastored, we, there was always an argument about the thermostat. You know, the old joke is that churches argue over the color of the carpet you know, like there's a falling out of the color of the carpet. No, 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 no. The real battle is the thermostat. Because, you know, you'll have the, 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 the very small of stature ladies who, who freeze. And, you know, if it's 80 degrees, they're back there shivering. Say, so, Pastor, can't you do something about this? I'm liable to freeze to death. And then you got me, your pastor, the human snow cone melting right before your eyes who would live, I would, I would live at about 60 degrees all the time, because you can always put more clothes on, but there's a limit to how much you can take off, you know, so um, <laughs> we're gonna, we're working on it, okay, we're working on it, we're gonna get it a little cooler in here, so, so any other folks who are like me will, will suddenly like it a lot better, um, you might have received something on the way in, if you didn't get one of these, and you like, one, well, let me tell you, let me tell you what this is, um, we don't really have a database of folks. We we don't have like a membership list in the normal sense. What we have is what it means to be a part of Recreate Church is that you show up and you take part. You know, I've I've pastored several churches and and you know one of couple of them actually had like 500 people on the roll and like you know that first church I pastored had had 300 on the roll but like 60 in the pews. When I showed up, first showed up, so it doesn't, you know, that's kind of irrelevant. This is not like a membership sign up. I want you to understand that. This is, we'd love to get some information so some of our ladies can send out cards. Our ladies group wants to send out cards to people on birthdays, cards to folks who are sick or struggling. That's what this is. So um, we have some more, more of these, Neil. So if you need one of these, just wave it, Neil. And uh, there's some right up here, Neil. So if you do not want to put the year of your birth, that is okay. That is okay. So um, anyway, that's what this is. That if uh, this is to sign up so we can get you a card or something if you're sick or, you know, just thinking of you. So we're not, not going to like do anything else with that information. Okay? Good? Good. Good. Do you know our motto around here? for recreate church no matter your story you are welcome you are wanted and you are loved we mean that you know what sometimes that that means you're going to meet some characters around here (laughs) sometimes you'll meet some folks who are who uh who make a trip out to saturn every now and then and come back you know but we love them anyway it means that um we'll learn and grow together because the heart of who we are is is helping people get closer to jesus that's that is what we do we're a community of life and love helping people get closer to jesus that means each other that means i'm helping you guys you guys are helping me you're helping each other that's that's what we do well we have been looking at some of these stories in mark and i love to tell i love to tell things like stories i hope that's okay i just want to tell y'all a story can i tell you all a story Going to anyway, even if you said no. So it may not help you to have said no. I want you to picture something. I'm going to sit down. I want you to to picture a scene. This is you. Can you imagine yourself laying in your bed trying to stay asleep? That wasn't so long ago today. Guess what? You got up and made it to church service. Thank you. Good job. That's a struggle especially the more kids you get. That's the more of a struggle that becomes. You know, you've you got some of y'all are getting kids and a husband out the door. So I get it, I get it. I want you to picture this. Imagine that you are laying in your bed and you know your alarm clock is about to go off, but you're trying not to think of that. Picture this, picture this. You're asleep and you, you wake up with the feeling of a hand tugging on you. You open your eyes, but the room is empty. There's no one that you can see, but it feels like someone is there. You realize that, that this force that is pulling on you isn't really pulling on your, your body as though it had you by the hand or something. It's, it's more like it has you by the soul. And it's pulling you it's moving you it wants to take you somewhere but it isn't clear where or why you stand up and the force seems to be leading you out of your room out of the house and into the front yard when you get out there the invisible hand is still pulling on you you take one step and then another And then another. Somehow you know you're going in the right direction, though you can't say for sure where it's going to take you. You walk out into the street, and your feet just take you onward and onward. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you know that you are supposed to be heading off to work. But it doesn't seem to matter at all. All that seems to matter is going where this Something is leading you. The life, Your life before that moment seems long ago, like a million years ago. You pass people on the road. Some people you know and they call out your name and you nod, but you don't stop because you have to go. You, you can't stop. This powerful force is sweeping you along like a leaf that has fallen into a swift-moving river. It's irresistible. And even if you could break away from it, you wouldn't want to because you so badly want to see where it's taking you. Soon you're far from home. Far from anywhere. There are other travelers on the road, but you barely notice them because all your thoughts are consumed by the journey. Then suddenly something changes about this feeling. These invisible strings that seem to have been pulling you in one direction suddenly turn to the left, to your left and you you turn and you walk to the edge of the gravel road that you've been walking and you look out over this area and it's it's just empty lonely wilderness there's nothing but rocks and sand and little patches of scrubby vegetation there's no path there's no people there's no trace of civilization but it none of that matters You already feel your feet carrying you deep into that wild place. The evening sun is beating down on the back of your neck and your shadow in front of you is stretching out into the distance and you know it's going to be dark soon and you know that this area is full of potentially dangerous animals. So you can't turn back. You can only go forward. You find a place between two big boulders and kind of wedge yourself in for the night. After walking all day, you expect to be tired. You expect that sleep would come easy, but it doesn't. Your mind is too full. It seems only minutes later when the cry of some desert bird startles you awake. Your mouth is is as dry as the sand that you slept on last night. In the dim morning light, you spot a vine kind of trailing down in between the boulders And it has a few drops of dew on it. And it's just enough to wet your parched tongue. And you whisper a few words of gratitude for the moisture. But along with that relief comes something else. It awakens your hunger. You haven't eaten anything since the night before last. Your stomach muscles are contracting and protesting, demanding food. But there's nothing your hunger is ravenous, but somehow, you almost think if food was in front of you right now, you you wouldn't have time to eat it. You don't look busy, but you are so consumed with what seems most important, thinking and praying. That's what you've been doing since the previous morning, thinking and praying, thinking and praying, thinking and praying. As you sit between those rocks, it feels like God Himself is speaking directly into your heart. Not as though He is right next to you, but more like He is inside of you. You sit there for you're not sure how long. Maybe days pass. Days and days. And God gives you insight into your purpose and your calling and your future. And then... The sound of snuffling breaks your concentration, and you feel hot breath on your face, and you smell something like old meat and, and blood, and you open your eyes, and a lion's nose is inches from your nose, and you, you don't run, you're too smart for that, you just freeze. To your surprise, the lion sniffs you from head to toe and shakes its shaggy mane then yawns, showing its teeth like pale orange daggers. And then it walks all about 20 feet away, turns a circle and lays down and watches you with its yellow eyes. Somehow you don't feel afraid. It's almost like this lion is watching over you, keeping guard over you. So time passes and you pray and you meditate and the sun traces its path across the sky, 39 times baking your cheeks in its rays you lie down and sleep that last night knowing that tomorrow you're going to go home on the 40th morning you open your eyes and the line is gone what you do see however is the hem of a black robe underneath it there are no feet just darkness The fabric ripples as if in a raging wind, but the air is still. You've been expecting this. You know after all the stuff the Lord has told you about your future and how it's going to change the course of history, it's not surprising that His enemies want to disrupt the plans of God. So you look up into the face of the devil. Now most people expect the devil to be twisted and grotesque, but that's not what you see. Face looks friendly, angelic even, convincing. He seems to be on the edge of a good-natured laugh, like he wants to tell you the most delightful joke, if you'll just listen to what he has to say. He offers you his hand, but you know better than to take the hand of the devil. He seems politely hurt by your refusal, but soon he's smiling again, and, and in front of you on the ground appears a woven basket covered in a black cloth. And the devil whisks away the covering. And in that basket, oh my goodness, you smell it before you see it. Your nose fills with the aroma of fresh baked bread. And in that moment, the most human part of you wants to do nothing more than to pounce on that basket of bread and eat it all. But before you can even move, the image blows away in the wind as if it were made by out of smoke. And in its place, three large smooth stones in the exact shape of the loaves of bread that were just there the devil smiles you know if you just speak the word these stones will become bread he says you can do this and you can satisfy your hunger and you know that although the devil is a liar in this thing he is technically correct you could After such a long time with God, you understand perfectly the power He's put inside you. You could turn these stones to bread, or you could produce an entire feast as easy as saying hello. And you you look up at the devil again and you see the eagerness in his eyes and anything the devil wants for you that badly can't be good for you. And you remind him of, of the Scripture that says that the Word of God is more nourishing than any bread. He pauses for a moment, trying to hide his frustration. Then he claps his hands together and the the scene around you swirls and suddenly you're no longer in a desert. You're at the top of a high tower overlooking a beautiful city. And the devil tells you, he says, look, look. I'm certain God has chosen you for something great. What better way to show the world who you really are than to leap from this tower? After all, don't the scriptures say that the Lord will send his angels to bear up the chosen one lest they dash, dash his foot against a stone? Isn't that what the scriptures say? You imagine for a moment what it would like to be free falling through the air. The whoosh of the air past you. As, and then the the flap of angels wings as they come and rescue you but you know it wouldn't be right to abuse your special calling like that you remind the devil of another scripture that says you shall not tempt the lord your god he snaps his fingers and in a flash you're no longer there but you're on the top of a mountain a mountain so tall that it seems to overlook the entire planet and the devil shows you all the kings and kingdoms of the earth One by one, it seems as though he reaches out and pulls near all of these empires and shows you their splendor and their glory. And he says, I'll give all of this to you. All the kings and kingdoms of earth will be under your sway. All you have to do is acknowledge me as your master. Now you know that his words are not empty promises, really. Because the hearts and minds of pagan nations and pagan rulers they're in the hand of the devil you know that he has ability to give power some degree of power but you also know that the devil is a thief and a usurper it's not really his to give and in time all the kingdoms of earth will be torn out of his grasp and put under the hand of the true king get away from me devil you shout i will serve only the lord Wind roars and something like black smoke blows away and you're back in the desert. The devil is nowhere to be seen. But he'll come back someday. You know it. At the darkest hour, at the last hour, he'll be back. But for now, you go off to fulfill your purpose. All the trials of this experience in the wilderness have not destroyed your resolve. They've made you stronger. They've prepared you for the long road ahead. So you dust yourself off and you walk out of the desert and into your destiny. And that's the way I picture it. The story of Jesus and his battle with the devil. This is where we've gotten in the Gospel of Mark. We're in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. I think I've made y'all all sleepy with my story. It was a bedtime story after all. Y'all are used to me cutting up up here, but I don't have, I don't have as many jokes today. Can y'all help a brother out? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so let's read in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It goes like this. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. We're going to stop right there and pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name we pray you'll open the scripture to us. And I pray that you'll show us how purpose is on the other side of the wilderness. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, all right. Let's look at verse twelve, please. Verse twelve, okay. Do you know anybody who's always in a hurry? Always in a hurry? Some of you pointed at yourself. I'm always in a hurry. You know, I have a saying in my family. I hate being late. I hate being late so much. And that was so interesting when Katie and I got married. Uh, my family gets places awkwardly early. Her, her family gets there fashionably, very fashionably, late. Not so much anymore. Katie's is not really late anymore. But when we first got married, it was a bit of a struggle. But my saying with my kids is... If you're five minutes early, you're 10 minutes late because you should have been 15 minutes early. And my dad's in the front row nodding his head because in my family, we would have a birthday party at two o'clock and my dad's parents would show up at one. Okay. And then like all Katie's sisters would show up at one at two 30. So grandma and grandpa had been there for like an hour and a half. And I was just hungry. I was just ready for the party food. I was ready to bust into the party food. Mark always seems to be in a hurry. What's the first word of this verse? Immediately, immediately, immediately. You going to see this like 40-some times in the book of Mark. The other three gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and John, use the word immediately, but not like this. Mark uses it three times more than the rest of them put, in, uh, put together do you remember who I told you last week was the one who told Mark these stories and he wrote them down? Simon Peter. You see, that's the the open secret of the gospel of Mark that this is these are stories that Simon Peter was telling Mark. Mark wasn't one of the 12 apostles. We don't have a record of him having a conversation with Jesus. We don't know for sure. But Peter did. And Peter always seems to be a man of action, right? Peter's always doing something. He's he's You know, as much as we pick on Peter, I don't know what we would have done in his place. Maybe we wouldn't have done any better. But you see this word immediately, immediately, immediately. It's a it's a reminder that Mark puts the emphasis on fast paced action. I like the story I just told you that got it real slow. Now we're going to speed up. All right. One of the reasons the Gospel of Mark is so easy to read is because it is fast-paced. It's quick stories, one after another. This was immediately after Jesus' baptism. After Jesus was baptized and before he started carrying out his calling in earnest, he had to endure this serious trial. Well, that's strange. Most folks think that when you make a commitment to God, everything's supposed to get easier after that. That's what most people think. Has that been your experience? Jesus people, what you talking about? Ain't that what the TV preachers said? Let's pray this prayer. Everything's going to be fine from here on out. It's going to be easy. No, we don't have that promise. Jesus certainly did not have that experience. And you think if God was going to give anybody an easy time, he would have given Jesus a hard time, but that's not the case. He went out into the wilderness to battle the devil himself. Maybe you feel as though you can relate to that. The wilderness here is this arid, uninhabited land between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. And if you were to go over to the Promised Land today and walk in that same general area, it looks a lot like it did then. There's probably some better highways, but for the most part, it's arid, rocky, open land. There's not much there. Um, The wilderness, however, can also be a metaphor for a period of trials and testing. You ever been in the wilderness in life? When life was especially painful or challenging or confusing or devastating? It can feel a lot like you're wandering in a desert with no water and no way out. Everyone has wilderness experiences in life. And it's easy to assume that every wilderness experience is just all bad that there's no good that comes out of it when you're having one of those bad days I remember I was um when I was 17 years old I was an FFA officer anybody any other FFA people in here let me tell you what people make fun of FFA a little bit and say, Oh, I'm foreign boys guess what I paid for two years of college for me y'all so praise God for the FFA. And it took me around the world and it taught me that there is somewhere, there is a planet outside of Carroll County, Virginia that maybe I ought to know something about because we were just, you know, we're country people. We stay close to home. Other people from other parts of Virginia made fun of my accent. That's how, how y'all think I'm hillbilly now. Y'all should have met Michael in the 90s. He was hillbilly x max pro plus plus he was so so it was good for me but let me tell you some of those trips i remember one trip i took i went to richmond virginia to the state fair and i had a new car new to me it was not new it was a 72 plymouth it was not new okay this 72 plymouth duster loved it wish i had not gotten rid of it good roaring thing. Of course, it got 13 miles per gallon on a good day, rounded up on the interstate, so I couldn't drive it all the time. But boy, did it sound good. Katie was not nearly as impressed with that car as I felt like she should have been. She said the brakes weren't that great. What do you need brakes for when you got a gas pedal? You just speed up through that turn. Anybody else have a husband who sort of sticks the turn? Just me? Just me? Okay, okay, maybe not the husbands, maybe it's some of the wives. So I go to Richmond, and um, that car had been parked for like, how many years, Dad? A long time. It had been parked a long time, but you know what happened inside that radiator as we were going the hundreds of miles to Richmond, Virginia? All the rust that had built up inside that radiator was coming loose. But I didn't know that. I went to Richmond took my grandfather with me, my grandfather, James's dad. He's been with the Lord a while now. James, he went, he's always wanted to go to the state fair, so he went with me to the state fair, and we went there, and I had some official duties to do with the FFA, but mostly it was just me and Grandpa out on a whirlwind adventure, and it was great, and uh, of course, we didn't stop at a gas station because we were getting there. Um, did I mention to you that the gas needle didn't work on this car, and It got 13 miles a gallon on the interstate, rounded up on a good day. I did say that, right? So um, my grandpa said he would drive a little bit on the way home. I said, Grandpa, don't you think we need to stop and get gas? He said, nah, son. Nah, son, you got to understand. My grandpa had false teeth that he never used ever, ever. Because he, quote, lost them in the garden one day. Okay, grandma knew you didn't lose them in the garden. You lost them, but it wasn't in the garden I don't know where he put those teeth. But you say, nah, son, we, we, no, son, we don't, we don't need to do that. Okay, I said, okay, grandpa, because I'm 17, and I don't know, I trust my grandpa. I did not think through that this is the man who routinely ran out of gas on Route 100 going to the Hillsville Deli Mart from his house, which was four miles away. And about <laughs> once every two months, he would be walking down Route 100 with a gas can. So he gets in the car And I'm like, I'm snoozing You know, that thing's roaring All 318 cubic inches Confined in those eight cylinders Are roaring down Interstate 64 West of Richmond, Virginia In the wilderness There is a little bit of wilderness there uh, West of, of Richmond And I'm snoozing And suddenly the roar gets quieter And we seem to be slowing down and I'll open my eyes and we're on the side of I-64 and say, What's going on, grandpa? He said, I don't know, son. I think we might be out of gas. Yeah, I think we are. <laughs> so we hiked about two miles up to the next exit and found called somebody. I don't know. It was a wreck truck. And brought us a gallon of gas, a gallon, most expensive gallon of gas I've ever bought. Forty dollars. It's forty dollars for a gallon of gas. But he did give me a ride back to my car, and we put a gallon of gas in. Then we went up to the gas station. So uh, I mean, like five dollar a gallon gas is bad, but it wasn't forty. So we continue home, and I remember what's happening inside the radiator this entire time. The rust is breaking loose. So we get down to like the foot of Christiansburg Mountain on the way home. Was it Aronto, The Ironto exit there? And when there used to be this little dinky gas station there, for which I will forever be thankful. Because the car starts overheating tremendously. I'm driving now. Grandpa's had his turn. I don't trust him no more. I'm driving. And, okay, this is bad because the temperature gauge does work. It works real good. And it's over in the red. So we stop there. I don't know what's going on. And uh, I can't remember what I did. I did not have a cell phone at that time. I had like a calling card. Did anybody remember those? Like cell phones were a thing, but I didn't have one. There were those old brick phones, like a car phone. Y'all remember those? The car phones, like a humongous, like a cinder block. Because if you get trapped in your car, you throw the car phone through the window and you escape. It was huge. We didn't have that either so uh called i can't i think i called dad and he said maybe it's a radiator because dad knew should have took you dad and left grandpa at home <laughs> it was a great adventure though so we got up there and found a water hose and like flushed gallons of rust out of that and somehow made it home and i'm like what in the world and you're saying well what did you get out of that preacher because god always brings goods that was in the wilderness literally there on the side of i-64 and uh At the time, you never saw a state trooper when you needed one on I-64. What did you get out of that? Well, I got a sermon illustration that I can repeat about as often as you forget it. That's what I got out of that. There's always something good you get out of it. See, the wilderness, there's good things to be found in the wilderness. You just can't see them at the time. I wasn't even a preacher then. I was pre-preacher. Yeah, that works. Pre-preacher then. See, we always assume that the bad stuff, the wilderness, is pointless and miserable. We expect that the devil is just picking on us. Or worse, have you ever had those moments where you're like, okay, Lord, um, am I being punished right now? Who can be spiritually honest enough to say, you've had moments where you said, Lord, am I being punished? I've had them. And I've been kind of honest enough to say, okay, Lord, I realize that if, if, if you're about to give me a whooping, i probably got it coming. I give you that, but please don't, please, please. I get it. I want you to understand that there are purposes for our trials that we don't see. Look Look in verse 12. Who was it that led Jesus out into the wilderness? Was it the devil? Who was it? The Holy Spirit of God led him out into the wilderness. Why would that ever happen? Because God had a purpose for the wilderness experience. And it was not punishment. And it was not just the devil picking on him. Jesus was being prepared for what was to come through this experience. Please understand that just because you trust God doesn't mean you won't have wilderness experiences. But it does mean that God will bring purpose out of every trial and every temptation. You can come out on the other side with some things you didn't have, with greater understanding, greater perspective, greater faith. Everybody goes through trials. But not everybody triumphs in trials. But with Jesus you can. So how long was He there? If we look at verse 13. Verse 13 says He was there how many days? Forty days. If you read the Bible, the number 40 is very significant. It generally points to a period of, of testing or preparation, or those things kind of go together. When it rained in the days of Noah, how many days and nights did it rain? Forty. Um, How many years were the Hebrew children in the wilderness before they went to the promised land? Forty. How many years did Moses live in Midian preparing him to go back to Egypt to take the people out in the Exodus? Forty. How many days was Moses up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments and the Law? 40 days. 40 days. In the Bible, the number 40 is symbolic of testing very often. Jesus endured 40 days of testing. Matthew and Luke also tell us that Jesus was fasting during this time. Mark doesn't give us that detail. The trials you experience, don't set a 40 day timer. And we're like, okay, this is only going to last 40 days. And then it's better. Forty days is a long time. I hope it don't last 40 years. But let's just be honest. When life is really especially difficult and painful, 40 minutes feels like forever. 40 seconds feels like forever. I'll never forget the day I watched Katie's lifeless body being shoved into a helicopter. I'll never forget that. It was a cold January morning and I stood there beside the helicopter pad in Galax, Virginia and I watched it disappear over the horizon. And it was so surreal. And I had no understanding. And it felt like forever standing just like like I was watching a movie of this happening to someone else. Like no, no, that's not my wife in that helicopter. I'm not standing here. Do you have those moments where like this is, is this this isn't can't be real? I'm watching a movie. That's what this is. But it was real. It was too real. And that was the most horrible day of a wilderness experience that lasted for ten years. Ten years in and out of the hospital. Ten years of brushes with death. Ten years of of trying to figure out ways to pay medical bills that kept piling up 10 years of this amazing, beautiful woman in the front row enduring almost constant pain and almost constant discomfort. 10 years. I'm about to do something that y'all need to pray for me for because she warned me not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. See this girl right here? I want to say, she's skeptical. She's skeptical. I'd love to say we're completely out of the wilderness, but I think we're mostly out. What do you think, Kate? Can can y'all give a little appreciation to my wife? Pray for me this afternoon because she's going to say, Michael, David, I told you not to do this. But I can't. I can't, honey. Because we spent 10 years in the wilderness. Some days I think we're out of the wilderness. Some days I'm not sure. But let me tell you this. Praise God. She's not in the hospital every other week. She can move around without a lot of pain. She, um, we can't keep her still at the house. She went so long confined to a chair and it drove her nuts because she is a woman of action. She likes the word immediately because when she says, Michael, I think you need to change the trash, her expectation is that it will be done immediately. And I, of course, as the incredible husband that, with which she has been blessed, I get to it just as soon as I can. Ladies, there's no need to remind your husband again and again about the things he needs to do. He'll get to it sometime. It, it will mean don't, you don't have to remind him every few months to move that junk car. He'll eventually do it, or it'll turn to rust as God intended. We have two non-running cars sitting at our house right now. So, Long-suffering is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and I praise God that He has granted my wife so very much of it, mostly. Ten years. Ten years. Here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can tell you about ten years of constant, constant struggle. God brought good out of it. Would I do it again? No, never. No chance. But has God brought good out of it? Yes. This little boy in the front row prayed for 10 years. All his life, he never knew what it was like to have a healthy mom. So now this, he's going to beat me up too. He would pray, God, please heal mommy of her blood clots. The blood clots are still there, but mama feels a lot better, doesn't she, Elijah? So your prayers went a long way. Praise God. Ten years. Ten years in the wilderness. And it's like, I don't know if we're out of the wilderness, but I think we can see where the interstate is. We just got to get over there. I don't believe that God gave Katie the spontaneous bleed that nearly took her from us. On the contrary, I feel like He spared her and us. I don't believe that God gave Katie the trials that followed, but I see how He's redeemed them certainly would not have chosen the path that we have walked but there's no denying that god has redeemed the steps along the way now hopefully what i'm praying is okay lord we've been through the wilderness hey is it time for a season of blessing that would be great let's have a season of blessing because i think we're ready for that and that would be okay and i just i praise god you know from this time last year a lot of things have changed and things are getting better and the lord has provided me with a good job and a lot of opportunity, so yes, God's answering those prayers, so um, even so, I could tell you the devil has used some of those trials too, as an opportunity to discourage and to tempt. and that's what He did with Jesus. And I told you <laughs> last week <laughs> that Jesus kind of had a rap battle with the devil. Do you know what a rap battle is? We need to st- Nick, you and I need to do like a rap battle. I mean, I, I would come OK, we'll have Nick and Grace do a rap battle. I would I I would not be able to do that not spontaneously Um, but it's kind of like that because the devil and Jesus are like quoting scripture at each other until Jesus drops the mic and walks away and sort of metaphoric metaphorically okay there was no microphones at the time Mark doesn't give us any of these details why doesn't he give us these details because remember Mark ain't about dialogue. He's about action, 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 action. The good news, the the gospel of Mark moves so fast that if you see something like, oh, wow, that's cool. I'd like to know more about that. Guess what? Go check out Matthew and Luke and John because they very well may have written about some of the same things, especially Matthew and Luke wrote about almost all the stories that are in Mark are also in Matthew and Luke. So you can get more. You want a lot more words? Go to Luke. Luke is sneakily the longest book in the New Testament. No one seems to realize that. Because Luke was a medical doctor. Luke wrote a lot. He gets lots of fine details. Mark is about action. He's the one that's like, hey, if you like this, you can find more. But if you're reading through and you're like, okay, this story doesn't really like click for me today, you don't have to wade through paragraph after paragraph of more information because he's on to the next story. Uh, Mark, however, does give us one detail that none of the other gospel writers do. Interestingly, it's this bit about him being with the wild beasts. What did that look like? In the story I told you in the opening, there was a lion. I don't know if there was a lion. I would love to be able to tell you that Jesus was sitting on a rock in the wilderness, petting a lion or hanging out with a bear. But I don't know. There were dangerous animals in the area, lions, lions and leopards and bears jackals foxes spiders snakes and scorpions and those last three i just lost some of y'all they're like i'll fight the bear but i don't want no snake don't give me the snake i ain't afraid of any of those things the only animal i'm afraid of is a hamster not that kind of hamster i'm talking about you know like when there's a like hairy clog in the drain of your shower i call that a tub hamster hate those things because you turn on the water and they run a loop and they grab onto your foot. It's awful. I'd rather fight a bear. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, thank you. Thank you, but no. Firmly, no. Uh, for any, any, anyway. Anyway. That's so why when I built a shower, I put, if you put like a shower drain thingy that's got square holes in it, the hair doesn't get stuck. There you, there's your tips and tricks from Michael Shockley, Home and Improvement okay the first and last tile shower that i built had those in it first and last katie's forbidden us she said we're never getting another fixer-upper and i hope she's right anyway you're going to meet some wild beasts in your time in the wilderness but they probably won't be animals there'll be some people There'll be some people who do not wish you well. Or maybe even some people who think they're trying to do right, but they're just not. There'll be some people who make your life very hard. People who either intentionally or unintentionally will harm you. But let me tell you what God does. He takes what others mean for evil and He turns it to good. I don't know who you got in your life right now who's kind of the beast that's giving you a hard time, but he will turn it to good. Trust him with it. He'll bring good from it. When it was all over, God sent angels to comfort Jesus, and he'll send some angels to comfort you as well. I want you to understand these were supernatural angels, but not all angels have to be supernatural. Do you know what the word angel means? It simply means a messenger. It doesn't have to be like a supernatural angel. When you share encouragement from the Lord to somebody, you are being an angel. When someone is sharing encouragement and hope with you, they're being an angel. We need to be angels to people who are going through trials. Especially if you know what it's like. You know what it's like in the wilderness. Be an angel. Just look at the person next to you and say, you're an angel. I can tell it not one of them fallen ones either one of the good ones you're an angel you're an angel you're an angel i think i made her blush you're an angel he ever noticed that you that it's only when you're already frustrated that your clothes starts getting caught on door handles and stuff you notice that like the pocket of your hoodie only gets caught on the doorknob when you're already mad And you're like, is the Lord telling me I'm being a little extra right now? Yeah, probably. No, I don't know. You ever notice that you only get stuck behind slow traffic when you're already late? Those little trials like that get to me, and they seem so pointless and frustrating, but even those can teach you patience and peace and better planning. 10 minutes early is five minutes late. You heard it here, folks. Plan to be there 15 minutes early. (laughs) But then come the much bigger struggles. The real wilderness experiences of life. Uh, seasons of great pain. Experiences of, of death and loss and illness and great need. Times when it seems the devil himself is trying to tear your life apart. And you wonder, you say, God, why would you ever allow this? And I ask that question. And... I would love to give you the perfect answer for your situation, but I I may not be able to. This, I can tell you. Two things I can tell you. First, just because God has allowed something in your life doesn't mean that He's orchestrated it or desired it or, or planned for you to endure this hardship. Life on planet Earth is tough. We live in a broken world. So not everything that happens is, is because you're being punished or because you've done something bad. I mean, we are. I've, planet Earth is, is a junk car, basically. And sometimes it's going to break down. Life on Earth is going to break down. I want you to understand that not everything you go through is because God's mad at you or something. That's just not the case. He certainly takes no joy in the pain of His children. And here's the second thing. God always has a purpose, even if we can't see it at the time. If he allows difficulties to touch our lives, he will bring good out of it. He will bring purpose out of our pain. Everybody on the planet goes through times of suffering and trials, everybody, whether they believe in God or not. Well, what's the difference, preacher man? The difference is with Jesus purpose can come out of the pain. With Jesus, your wilderness experiences mean something. They can serve you instead of slay you. They can grow you instead of destroy you. Before Jesus stepped into his ministry, he had to go through the wilderness. Most spiritual breakthroughs come after you go through the wilderness. The wilderness is usually where you discover your purpose. Before I ever came to terms with my calling to preach, I went through a season of, oh boy, it was rough. It was wilderness. It was difficult. And it took that for me to stop and say, okay, God, you got something better than what I'm trying to do. Trust God with your temptations. Watch what he can bring from them. Trust Jesus and watch how suffering produces meaning. Don't forget that it was through suffering that he redeemed the world. You don't think he'll use suffering in your life? He will. He will. Well, that's where we're going to leave it for today. Read ahead in the book of Mark. We're covering this pretty slowly. I get it, but it's good stuff. We're going to get it all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that... You help us to see that you redeem our trials, that you redeem our times in the wilderness. And Lord, open our eyes to what you're doing. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you got those papers that um, tell you you know have the uh, the information on it? You can drop those in the tall wooden boxes where you drop offering. If you didn't get one of those, they're back on the table by the door. Again, we don't really want your information for any illicit purposes. We just want to send you like a birthday card or a get well card. So, God bless you guys. We'll catch you later.